Amen. My name is Brett Machat. I am the worship and young adults pastor here at Life Community Church. And just want to say, uh, whether it's your first time or maybe you've been coming here for a while, I don't know, but we are excited to have you here. I'm going to try a different mic. Is that all right? I'm going to try the speaker mic. Okay, here we go. Hello? Oh, this is, is this much better? This is, this is much better. Amazing. You just love technology. All right, well, before we get on with the rest of our service, because we've got some more worship, we've got some exciting things happening at the end of our service. Uh, I see a lot of unfamiliar faces, and I think some of those might be because of baby dedication. Woohoo! Who all is excited for that? I know I am. We've got baby dedications at the end of the service this morning, so stick around for that. It's going to be great. Um, also, after the service, this is after the service, it's going to be right around 1120 Five minutes after the service ends, we are having a baptism information meeting right here. Okay, so when the service ends, you'll see me walk up and I'll go, all right, in five minutes, baptism info meeting right here. Our baptisms are set for October 30th. That Sunday is going to be amazing. You definitely want to mark it on your calendar. You don't want to miss it. If you or maybe even just somebody you know hasn't been baptized or is interested in hearing more about baptisms, Come to this meeting. And yes, I know I'm biased. It's going to be a great meeting. I'm the one leading it. Um, so a little bit biased. But please, I would love to get to know you. I would love to talk with you about that. Baptism is such an exciting way for us to tell the world that we not only love Jesus, but we trust him with our very souls and we're ready to follow him. Um, also, we've got something really exciting happening in a couple of weeks uh, for which I actually need some help talking about this. Eva, why don't you come on down? Eva is going to help talk about her experience with the Harvest Festival last year because the young adults led a booth. So, Eva, can you tell us what that was like? Yeah. Hi, everybody. As Brett said, my name is Eva, and I am a part of the young adult small group. So last year around this time, a couple of our members decided that we wanted to help out with the Harvest Festival, both with the preparation beforehand and actually working the event. So my friend Rebecca and I, who I am in cell group with, decided that we would do some of the planning behind the game that we wanted. Um, so like one does when planning for a harvest festival, we turned to Pinterest and we found this very cute um, pumpkin bowling game. So our game was you get a little plastic pumpkin and you're gonna roll it and then we made these little spook bowling pins. So we got all these water bottles and put little googly eyes on them and filled them with marbles and paper and they were super cute. We tried this in my apartment. It worked really well in the kitchen. My roommate also loved it. So like kiddos <laughs> to 23, this was a great game. And then we got to the Harvest Festival and it was really windy that day and we were in the gravel. So the game did not work exactly like we thought it would. Uh, the pumpkin was kind of rolling all over the place. And I think Brett actually filled the water bottles with water. Yeah, yep. so, okay. yeah so that way they wouldn't just fly all over the place. Um, and then Rebecca and I worked the pumpkin painting. I think Brett and Kip did the, the pumpkin bowling. Um, but the moral of that story, even though the game didn't work out the way that we thought it would, like most things from Pinterest do, it was still <laughs> a great way to get to know Rebecca. That was one of the first times that we really hung out outside of cell group and getting to know her story and just grow in relationship with her was a great opportunity, both in the preparation before the game and working it. So I would definitely encourage anybody if there's somebody in your small group that maybe you don't know very well or that you would like to get to know better, doing a project is a great way to kind of build those relationships, at least it was for me. Um, and it was super fun to work with all the kiddos there too. So maybe your game will work better than ours did, maybe it won't, but <laughs> either way, it's still a great opportunity to build those relationships. 
Okay, it's really funny to me. I like don't remember it not working at all, but now that you say it, I'm like, that's exactly what happened. I remember the wind was blowing everything, and oh my gosh, but what I remember was the kids having a really fun time, and also just, I remember having a, a good time hanging out with Kip. That was, that was fun. Um, and so if, if that's anything, like, I think everybody that participated in either of those things had a really good time, so mm -hmm. just know that maybe the best laid plans, they don't always go the way that you want. But I have a question before you head out. Yeah. Are you doing either of those? Like, I know what everybody else is thinking. They're like, mm, face painting, pumpkin bowling. That's a good idea. I'm going to do that. Are you guys doing any of those for? Um, we haven't talked about it as a group yet. Okay. Maybe that's okay. something we can bring up on Tuesday. But well, I don't if think you we want either anything. of those, I think you need to choose them pretty fast because I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just the only one thinking that that's exactly what my group should do. But anyways, thank you so much, Eva. You're so welcome. Um, everybody. Turn to somebody next to you and say good morning. Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe it's somebody you don't know. Say good morning and talk about your favorite thing about fall. It's good to be here together today. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. It is beautiful to, to hear our voices come together, united together in him. Welcome. If you're new, we want to welcome you to our family this morning. When you came in, everybody should have received a piece of paper and a pencil, okay? Kind of looks like this. Maybe not the pencil. It's not that big. But a piece of paper and a pencil. If you did not get one of those, there's a table over here that has the pencil and the paper. And we'll get it to you. You can actually pick it up in a second because we're going to do an exercise right now together, okay? A very simple exercise. Around you, you've got neighbors, okay, around you in here this morning. They're your neighbors sitting next to you. And here's what we're going to do. When I say go, I want you to meet somebody, preferably somebody you've not met before, okay? Say your names so you learn each other's names, and then answer this question. It's very simple, right? What's a word or two that describes the neighborhood or area I live in? And then say why you picked those words, okay? Let me go over that again. So meet somebody and meet a neighbor around you, someone, preferably somebody you don't know, learn a name, and then ask that question and, and answer why to that question too. You ready? On your mark, everybody stand up, come on. On your mark, it's like, go!
Okay, you can start to make your way back. And don't forget, if you didn't get a piece of paper or that pencil, go ahead and grab that right now on your way back. The table right over here. All right. Hopefully you got to, uh, got to meet somebody new this morning and learn a little bit about their neighborhood. Um, let's jump in. Last, last week, Hurricane Ian came through. It went through Cuba. That's where Armando, who spoke last week, has family. They're okay. And the hurricane moved on to Florida, as you know. A little over a day before it arrived in Florida, it was projected to hit in, like, the Tampa area. And um, we were concerned because my brother, uh, I have a brother, and I have my mom and her family are all in a place called Spring Hill, which you see is right by Tampa. So we were concerned for them. And my other brother and I were talking on the phone, kind of making plans, watching the map, seeing where things were going. And... Um, it's weird to say it, but our family was fortunate that the storm moved south. Others were not fortunate. Others, it completely upended their lives. For, and it's going to be days, months, years, years before their lives are back to normal. So I just want to pause for a second and pray for, for those families. And I want to ask you, consider how you can help. There's a lot of ways to give to, uh, to help that. So... God, would you, would you help the families that are, that are in Florida who have been hit by the hurricane, God? Uh, this is a tragedy, and, but we know that you show yourself and your power through these things, God. Um, would you lead us by your spirit in the ways that we can be involved uh, to help those who are in need down there? In your name, amen. So it's weird. Uh, for my family, it ended up just, just uh, resembling like a storm, but it was, it was um, that's where it hit, and it was really horrific. And here's the thing. When, when a trajectory points to, to destruction, right, you, you act, you warn, you mobilize. And if it's in your power or ability to move someone out of the trajectory, right, you do it. But to do that, you've got to convince someone to actually change their own trajectory, the path that they're on, to leave. It's called an evacuation route. Today, we're finishing our, our series called Open Doors. And it's on our core value of being outreach-oriented. We've been looking at Jesus' call to, to share the gospel, to share the good news. And if we really believe what God says in his word to us, the Bible, if we really believe that those who have Jesus Christ have life, and those who don't have Jesus Christ will not have life now or after death, if we really believe that the trajectory for those in Christ is to be forever separated from God, from his presence, his love, his life, then we act. We warn. We mobilize. We do everything we can to, to pull people into the evacuation route. Because the reality is we cannot change the trajectory of what's coming for those who don't know Christ. But the individual person, their path, what they choose, that can change. That can be altered. And so Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, he said, Make disciples of all nations. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. 
And that command to make disciples is straight in line with what Jesus called in Mark 12, the greatest commandments, right? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love is to go. It is pure love to share Jesus Christ, to share about his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his forgiveness of sins. It is pure love to share that with others. It's pure love to come alongside those who don't know him and help them to become followers and disciples. It's love to change their trajectory. When I, when I was two, my family moved from Germany to Australia. And we were in Australia about five years, a little more than five years. We lived in a neighborhood there called St. Ives. It was a suburb of Sydney. And during that season that we were there, a neighbor reached out to my dad. And he invited him to a local fellowship of believers, Christ followers. And that started my dad's journey on this road to know Jesus Christ, to follow him, and to love him. God used that neighbor and others to change the trajectory of my dad's life. It, and that changed the trajectory of his spouse, and that changed the trajectory of his kids, me included. I'm the baby in the family. And it in actually changed the trajectory beyond that to grandkids as well. It's a beautiful thing. But my dad's trajectory was headed for an eternity without Christ, but someone took a step of faith. Someone actually did what Jesus said. Loved their neighbor. Loved their neighbor. As a body of Christ here at LCC, we, this is where we're headed in the next season, to the place where God has put you, your neighborhood. Now, we all live in some version of a neighborhood. This is mine, Hillcrest. It's about a quarter mile from here. Easy, I can walk. Nice walk. But we all live in a neighborhood, and just like the neighbor in my dad's story, we all have, we ha all have responsibilities. We have things in our life. We're busy with family and we're with work, and we have things to take care of. We have limitations of our time and our energy. And, and when we think about sharing our faith, we have reservations, a lot of us, right? Me? I, can I be the one to actually change someone's trajectory? Me? I'll mess it up. What if I ruin the relationship? These people are in my neighborhood. I have to live by them. What if I, what if I get rejected? What if I get rejected? If you feel those things, you're not alone. I certainly feel those things. But I wonder, I wonder if my dad's neighbor felt those things too as he thought about taking a step. But what if loving your neighbor wasn't the mountain that you've made it out to be? What if it began with some really easy steps? How do we overcome the walls and the mountains that we've built up? How do we literally pick up our legs and take a step towards those that God has placed in our neighborhood to do what Jesus was very passionate about, to love our neighbors. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is going to give us an approach. And this is so helpful. So if you've got your Bible, 
on your phone, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. And as you do that, I just want to tell you, 1 Corinthians is a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to this group of believers, followers of, of his, in the city of Corinth. Uh, Paul had initially spent 18 months with them around that in person. And now he's writing back. He's writing back to them to check in and also just to kind of address some issues that are going on in that church. Now, Corinth was this unique city. It's in south-central Greece. It was, a, it was a unique city. It was a trading center, so there was, there was money there. There was wealth, and, and people lived that way, many. But there were discrepancies in income, too. But there were many wealthy people. There was people who pursued lifestyles of luxury and pleasure. It was a place inhabited by different types of people, by Greeks, Romans, people from all over. It was, but it was, it was a very, very dark place. It was known for its, its sexual immorality, temple prostitution, human trafficking. Um, it was known for its idol worship. So in chapter 9, in this letter that Paul writes, he, he, he talks to the church there about how he brought them the gospel and what, what he gave up in order to bring them the gospel. And one of the things he gave up, as you read through chapter 9, is he gave up money because he could have asked them to support him. In fact, he says in, in verse 14 of chapter 9, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, right? But Paul says, we didn't ask that. We did not make use of that right because we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel, all right? So it was Paul's sense that in this situation, asking for money might hinder the gospel, so he pivoted. He changed his strategy. He changed his approach. And he did it because he knew it would make the soil richer so that the gospel could be heard and it could, could grow. I'm planting grass right now in my backyard. I got bare spots, right? I have to approach different parts of my yard differently. I've got this little, like, hilly part in the back a little bit. I've tried to put grass seed on it. You know what happens? The rain comes. It washes away. I specifically have to put straw on that part. You have to approach sometimes different situations and different people differently to get things to grow. And that's what Paul does. So we're going to pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 9. And this is what Paul writes again to this group of believers. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. That I might win. What does win mean? Later he says save. His intention is to, for them to know Jesus Christ, to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's winning, okay? But he says here, I, I'm free from all. And he, what he's saying is he's not bound or obligated to any human being. He's not a bond servant. He hasn't, he's not working under someone else. He's completely free to exercise his rights. He's free to bring the message as he wants. But... He's going to choose not to be free. He's going to choose not to live in that freedom. He's going to lay down some of the rights that he has, and he's going to serve anyone he encounters with the gospel. You see, Paul was building these, these 
fellowships of believers in Christ, these, these multi-ethnic churches, Jews, Gentiles, all peoples. And the one approach to all these people that would work, that would make the soil rich, right, so that they, so he could get an audience for the gospel, the one thing was food? No. Servanthood. Servanthood was the great connector. Let me say it again. What Paul is communicating here is that I'm laying aside my rights to approach people how I want to approach them because I know it gives those who don't know Christ a better chance to hear the message. So he talks about laying down his rights. And he's going to talk about it. He talks about it throughout 1 Corinthians. In chapter 8, the chapter before, he says, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, we're all about rights, right, in America. We're all about our rights, right? Don't tell me what I should say, what I can't say. Don't tell me what I should own, what I can't own, what I can do, or what I should do. We don't want restrictions. We don't want them on paper. We don't want uh, to feel like we should do them by in social situations, even though they're not on paper. We feel that. But here's the thing. To unbelievers, Paul's way and Jesus' way was willingly laying down your rights so that the gospel could come and flourish. And, and maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you've never thought about this, but the exercising of your freedom, exercising your freedom has an effect on the richness of your soil, an effect that may hinder or enhance the ability, your ability to find favor with your neighbor to share the gospel. Let me say that again. Exercising your freedom has an effect on the richness of the soil, an effect that may hinder or enhance your ability to find favor with your neighbor to share the gospel. Sure, you can exercise your right to speak loudly, to live passionately about what you believe in or about whatever topic it is, but what effect does it have on the soil around you? Does it enrich the soil of others to hear the message? That's a question to ask. Let's keep going. So what did this, this serving, this laying down of rights look like to Paul as he approached very different people, which he did? Well, this is what he says, okay? And he's going to go through some different peoples that he encountered. Verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law, and then the parentheses, but I'm not myself under the law. Stay with me here. See, Paul encountered Jews. The Jews were under the law given to them by God, right? And Paul, something Paul distinguishes here because he, he writes to the Jews and then he says to those under the law. Well, isn't that the same thing? Because Jews are under the law, right? Uh, some people think that, it, that Paul was writing to Jews who were born Jews and then Jews who converted as Jews. We don't know for sure, but that's maybe why it's repeated. Maybe not. Maybe he's just saying it twice in a different way. But here's, here's the fact. Paul was a Jew himself by birth. His own people, his Jewish people, remember, there were still those 
Jews who were looking for the Messiah. They were looking. They didn't know about Jesus, and they were still living under the law. And Paul just longed to tell them, the Messiah's come. Jesus has come. He, he longed to say to them, like he said later in Galatians, listen, the law was our guardian until Christ came, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. In Christ, Paul was free. He would call it being under Christ's law. But, and this is a very big but, <laughs> when Paul encountered unbelievers, Jews who were unbelievers, in the city of Corinth or elsewhere, he became as one under the law. In other words, he gave up his freedom in Christ, and he observed the laws of the Jews. He didn't do it in a truth-compromising way, but he did it simply for the sake of making the soil rich so that he'd be able to share the gospel of Christ. There are some crazy examples of this. In Acts 16, he's about to go to an area where there's unbelieving Jews, all right, and he's going to take Timothy with him. Well, Timothy's mom is a Jew, but his dad is a Greek. And Paul knows that this is going to be a stumbling block to these Jews. So he has Timothy circumcised uh, to, go, to get circumcised just so he could share the gospel message. That's fun to be Timothy, right? Come on now. <laughs> In Acts 21, Paul shaves his head according to some the customs, according to what he had committed under the law, because, as one commentator puts it, it's, it was a helpful step in gaining a hearing for his faith in Christ. <laughs> now, this can be really confusing if you've read all of the New Testament and what Paul, how Paul responded to things. Because there were times when Paul actually took strong stands against anyone who tried to put somebody, a non-Jew, tried to put them under the law or tried to get them circumcised. But here he tells Timothy to be circumcised. Seems inconsistent, but it's not. Because this is it. When there were Jewish believers in Christ who tried to make a requirement of non-Jews, of Gentiles, to try to get them to be circumcised or live a certain way under the law, Paul would have none of it. Because he knew in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, he fulfilled the law. We're under a new covenant. We live life by the Spirit. But when it came to unbelievers, unbelieving Jews, and the chance to share the gospel, Paul would consistently lay down his rights. And he would encourage others, and he does in this letter, to do the same. The chance to win people for Christ was tough. All right, so that's the Jews. He's going to go on. Let's talk about the Gentiles. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law, though I'm not outside the law. I'm under the law of Christ. Okay? Simply put, to Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jews, right? To Gentiles, I became a Gentile that I might find favor and win the Gentiles. But I'm not actually going to do Gentile. I'm not going to be as Gentile because I'm under the law of Christ. Paul laid aside his rights. He respected, he entered their world, respected how they lived, 
long as it didn't compromise the truth, in order to make the soil rich. Let me give you an example. This is fascinating. If you want to look in your Bibles along with me in 1 Corinthians 10, you can. I'll just summarize, though. But in the city of Corinth, there was, as I mentioned earlier, idol worship. It was prevalent in that city. And in their pagan ceremonies, there would be food that would be sacrificed to idols. All right? That food would actually end up in the markets where it would be sold and, and end up in the homes of, of the people of the city. So Paul writes in, this, in his letter to this church, he says, listen, you say I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You say I have the right to do anything, but not everything's constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And then he gives them this instruction. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, you are free in Christ regarding food. Don't ask about where the food came from if someone puts it before you. Again, his mindset is make the soil rich. That's not the issue. We want them to hear the gospel. Okay? Now stay with me because this is fascinating because Paul makes a caveat. And this is what he says. He says, basically, in that same situation, if the unbeliever knows who you are and they say something like, you might want to know that meat was used in our worship ceremonies. Then Paul says, don't eat it. In that case, don't eat it because that will affect the soil, right? Because your reputation is, would be not left intact, and it might hurt your chances to share the gospel. Fascinating, fascinating. Lay down your rights. You can eat that food, but lay it down in that case for the chance to share the gospel. Now, you may be thinking what I'm thinking when I read that sometimes. I'm like, wait a second. Is, is Paul just like a people pleaser? Is he just a chameleon? Does he just kind of shift? Does he have convictions? Oh, Paul had convictions. If you've read Paul, you know he had convictions, right? But if you go back to verse 21 there, he says, like, I'm not being Gentile. I'm not going to compromise the truth. I'm under the law of Christ. So let's clarify some things here. Laying aside your rights for the purpose of sharing your faith does not mean deliberately sinning to make the soil rich. I'm going to go get drunk with some guys so I can connect with them and tell them about Jesus. No, no, that's not how it works. Uh, you don't become sexually immoral. You don't participate in idol worship ceremonies. In this case, you don't do Gentile. So laying down your rights is not deliberately sinning to make the soil rich. Laying down your rights is also not watering down the message and the truth of the gospel. You don't cut corners on the message. You bring the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross and the need for a Savior. Paul's point is that we're to lay down rights to make the soil rich for hearing the gospel. Okay, one more. i got to keep moving. To the weak... I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Do you think Paul cares about saving people? 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. All right, so what does it mean to be weak here, right? We, ha- we see that and think um, we have different thoughts of what that word looks like and means. But to be weak here means someone that has a conscience or a belief about something that's not essential to your freedom in Christ, okay? Say that again. Someone who has a conscience or belief or practice that's not essential to your freedom in Christ. And there's a lot of examples of this, right? If you've got a friend, that an unbelieving friend that, uh, that uh, abstains for, from food for a certain reason. Maybe it's a religious reason. Maybe it's a way of life they've chosen. Um, maybe they regard a special day or a special time. Um, and when Paul says, I became weak, what he's saying is, he, he stopped exercising his freedom in Christ in that matter, and instead he chose to enter the world of that unbeliever to make the soil rich. So think about your neighborhood that you're in right now, okay? Or the area you're in. It could be apartment complex, could be a dorm, could be whatever it is. There are people in that neighborhood, you're likely to encounter people who have a different set of beliefs and way and lifestyle, way they live. You might have an unbeliever who who doesn't eat certain kind of foods. And Paul would say, okay, don't invite them over and serve that food, right? You may have an unbeliever who prays at a certain time or who observes a particular day or who dresses a particular way. You don't say things about those people that dress that way. That doesn't enrich the soil. How about unbelievers who have certain convictions about raising their kids or their family in a certain way? Or some unbelievers will not own certain kinds of items due to a belief. Paul says, we who are strong, this is Romans 15, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You know, every week... We come here, right, and we sing songs. And we have the right to sing songs, all the songs in English, right? Easy. We can, we can exercise that right. But what does it mean to lay down your rights for others that are in the body and others who are unbelievers who may come into this body as a result of it? I want to read this whole section again. It's only four or five verses, but I want to read it, and I want you to hear it in a different translation because I think it gets to the heart of, of this. Uh, this is from, from the message. Um, I only had the English version here because uh, they'll have to translate in the back. But, but listen to this. This is uh, from the message, 1 Corinthians 9. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, Meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message 
I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. That's a great <laughs> synopsis of, of what it means to lay down your rights, your heart. So three quick takeaways before we get into the book, okay? One, winning is everything. To Paul, winning is everything. The chance for someone to, to receive the gospel of Christ meant everything. And I would just say this, if you, if you are indifferent to that, to your neighbor and where they're headed, a first step is just to go back and soak in what God has done for you. Winning is everything. The second thing, winning in your neighborhood means taking on the nature of a servant, laying down your rights to make the soil rich. That is in line with the way Jesus lived. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so the advancing of the gospel is more important than our time or our rights, right? Sometimes we need to throw our phones away from us. Oh, we could exercise that right to be on our phone, but what difference does it make and what does it steal from the opportunities we have to connect and to be present? And that's the third thing. Winning in our neighborhood means being present, entering the world of others, learning, and building relationships. I have this great memory, I was very young, of when we were in, in Australia, I had this memory of neighbors coming. Uh, there was a knock on our door. It was, it was uh, trick-or-treat. Uh, the thing is, Australians, they don't really celebrate. At least they didn't in the mid-'70s, okay? I think it's, it's picking up a little bit, but they didn't celebrate Halloween. That was like a foreign thing to them. But they knew about it, and they knew we were there, and they came and knocked on our door, and they said, trick-or-treat, okay? And we're like, <laughs> that was really cool. And so we were scrambling. What do we have? We gave them oranges. We had oranges in our house. That's all we had. But you know what happened? When they did that, what did they do? They saw us, right? They entered into someone else's world who was different, and they tried to, to make relationships. That's a, it's a beautiful thing. We got opportunities like that all the time in our neighborhood to make connections. We have to just embrace the reality. The world is lost. People without Christ do not have life. Uh, Jesus said to his followers and to us that we're his witnesses, that we're to go make disciples. So you and I play a very important role in changing the trajectory of lives. Because eternal life, when we find Christ, it begins now. Life with Jesus is the reward. And people are missing out. As, as Armando said last week, we are, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors carrying the message. And that's why our next season ahead is all about this. His spirit has led us to this point and so I'm going to keep this in front of us a lot. So let's talk about the book. Uh, we've been, we asked everybody, if you're new here, we asked everybody to read the first couple of chapters, two chapters of this book, The Art of Neighboring, okay? And I want to do a little summary here, and then we're going to do an exercise, okay? 
In the first couple chapters of this book, we learn. We learn that every family in our neighborhood has a story of how they got to where they are today. Every family, every family. We, we heard about the beginnings of a movement that happened in a city that started with the words of, of a mayor in the city that met with a group of, of uh, leaders and pastors too. And that mayor made the statement, the majority of issues our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become great neighbors. Then the light went off for a lot of Christ followers. Wait, didn't Jesus tell us to love our neighbors? Maybe we should actually love our neighbors. Then came some more words from God used an assistant city manager who basically said, no, there's not really a noticeable difference between how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. And it felt like a punch in the gut. And some realizations came out of that. One is that loving our neighbors cannot be this, this general idea out there. We just need to love. We need to love everybody out there. It needs to be specific, and it needs to be those around us, those we interact with, those we live by, our actual neighbors. So if you would, take out that white sheet. And whether you read the book or not, all of us can do this. It's very easy, okay? Take out that white sheet. And here's what I want you to do. In the middle of that white sheet, there's a, there's a house. That's your house, okay? If you want to put my house in that box or whatever, put your address. Um, the other uh, squares are up to eight residences around you. Again, this could be apartments, could be mobile homes, dorm rooms, whatever it is. Take a couple minutes, and we're going to fill out two things, A and B, okay? A is simply, if you know the names of one of the eight neighbors around you, just write it in their box, okay? Write their names. First name, if you know the last name too, write as much as you can, okay? Uh, B is write something factual you know about the neighbor. Um, they have a pet. They play golf, whatever it is, okay? So I want to take a couple minutes on your own, fill that out. And if you already filled it out, fill it out again, or just pray over the one that you filled out, okay? Ready, set, go.
as you're continuing to work on that. I'll call the band up. Um, now, I didn't make you fill out the, the names of the people in your own house. I hope we got that down, right? <laughs> but for fun, and again, there's no shame in this. I will tell you, a couple years ago, I sat in a, uh, a conference that talked about this, and, uh, and I watched as, as pastors... <laughs> Uh, raise their name, and after we got past one, it was, it was uh, there weren't a lot of hands up, which was very revealing for us. But just for fun, okay, no shame here again. How many were able to come up with at least one, the name of at least one neighbor? Please put your hand up, okay? And leave it up if you were able to come up with two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I will tell you that um, that's similar to what I saw, is, uh, is we can become very inward-focused in our lives. And Jesus has called us into our neighborhoods to make a difference with our neighbor. And one of the big differences, this is the first baby step that we can take towards having an impact, towards making the soil rich, and that's just learning someone's name. It is so important. A name is so important to know someone's name. And so that's the challenge. That's, the, I guess, the homework. Um, this is a book that we're going to do in our groups. Um, so we invite you to, well, I'm going to keep this in front of us. We're going to do this block map again in a couple weeks. And the reason we do it is because we're not here to stay insular. We're here to go out. We're here to reach the place where God has put us because God has a great story that he is telling. He's telling the story of Christ and how he came and he provided forgiveness and salvation to those who don't know him. And he said, we're the witnesses. We're the ones to go out. We're the ones that he can use to change the trajectory of someone's life for eternity. Can you imagine what it would look like all of us in our neighborhoods where God has placed us, and Acts tells us that he's placed us in a specific place for a specific time if we chose to live this out, to start by learning the names of the people next door, start surrendering the rights that we have to make the soil rich. And I pray, God, we ask for your spirit to be active as we go back, as we go out today, as we return to our neighborhoods. God, open our eyes to this world, to those who don't know you. Give us the courage, God, just to take a step and say, hey, what's your name? I've never met you before. I forget your name. To start to begin to build relationships. God, we love you. We're thankful for what you did for us, but we can't contain it. We can't keep it to ourselves. We love you. We love you. Thank you for the gospel that's changed our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.